God had been in exile, they're coming home to Jerusalem. They see the steps leading into the temple, and as they ascend each one, they pray and give praise to God. They teach us how to pray and praise God in difficult times. Join us for this series every Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome again to our Wednesday night Bible study where we are looking together at what is commonly known as the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent begin in Psalm 120, and they conclude in Psalm 134. They emerge out of the longest psalm in the Psalter, Psalm 119. The focus of Psalm 119 is very, very clear. The foundation for the people of God and the focus for the people of God in order to grow in faithfulness to God is the Word of God. And the psalmist in Psalm 119 celebrates the good gift that God has given us in His Word. It is a precious gift. And for us who live in the United States of America, it is beyond gift. Because you and I can right now, tonight, go online and we can find multiple translations of the Bible. We can find all kinds of study Bibles. And with one click, we can purchase whatever we are desiring at the time to help us grow in our knowledge of God through his word. God wants us to know him. You do know that, don't you? That God wants you to know him and that he has thus made himself known to you. In order to know God, we must know his word. There is no knowledge of God apart from the knowledge of his word. Uh, John Calvin, at the very beginning of his mammoth work, The Institutes of the Christian Religion, says that all the wisdom in the world can be brought down to these two things, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. And his writing and teaching and preaching was centered exclusively on the Word of God because he knew what I pray I know and that you know that there is no intuitive knowledge of God. The knowledge of God is that which God reveals through his Word. So Psalm 119 is in the background of all of the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent, as far as we can tell, have their background in the return of the people to Jerusalem, having spent a generation or more in exile. They're returning to their sacred city. They're returning to their sacred space. And when they were in exile, and as they made their journey back to 
Jerusalem, they were very aware of their being disconnected from all that was familiar. They were removed from everything that gave them hope. And they began to reflect on that. They found themselves in despair and facing depression. They found themselves at times emotionally and spiritually devastated, living in the midst of darkness. So the first of these Psalms of Ascent that we examined last week, we entitled Deliverance from Distress. Now we turn tonight to the second Psalm of Ascent, Psalm 121, and we're going to examine it under a question. Who is our help? Uh, you may want to replace the who with what. Who or what is our help? Let me read the psalm for us and then we will pray and then we will examine this psalm. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. And we give thanks to God for this sacred treasure. Open our eyes now that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our minds that we might comprehend. Open our hearts that we might receive open our souls, that there might be in us a passion for you that is fueled and inflamed by a deep and increasing hunger for the knowledge of you through your holy word. Teach us, God, through your Holy Spirit, and help us even in these moments to look inside ourselves and find an honest and realistic answer to the question in very practical terms. Where does my help come from? Who is my help? Through Jesus Christ our Lord, Amen. Now let me begin our study with another question. What is it that takes your eyes and your mind and your heart away from God? Can we admit it? We can get so easily distracted. 
It is so easy for me to be distracted in my quiet time. It's the first thing I do every morning. Well, the first thing I do every morning is grab coffee. <laughs> but as soon as I've got my mug of coffee, I'm headed to the place where for years and years and years I have had my quiet time. It's a special place to me. And I find peace in that place. But I can get so easily distracted. My mind can wander. And my heart can, even in those moments, be deceived. Uh, my soul can grow weary. My body, early in the morning, can still be wanting, begging sometimes for more sleep. What is it that would distract you? your mind and your heart away from God? Where do we look for help? That's the better question in the context of this song. When we are struggling and we need help, where do we turn? Help. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? The word that the psalmist uses here is the very same word that is used back in the beginning of the Bible about Eve. Adam had been made by God from the dust of the earth. He had been put in charge of the garden. He has plenty of work to do. He does not have any downtime of any significance, but he is alone. He's not lonely because he's busy. Uh, chapter 2 of Genesis, verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper. That's the same word that is used in Psalm 121. I will make a helper that is fit for him. I will give him a companion. I will bring from his side one to come alongside him and complete him. He has a need, and I will supply that need. He has an issue, and I will resolve that issue. He is facing a challenge, and I will satisfy that challenge and bring someone to him that will be his helper. Uh, here's the idea in this word. When we are facing spiritual or emotional or relational issues, where do we turn? What is our first instinct or impulse? Uh, Martin Luther in the 16th century uh, said that 
we in the midst of needing help will always instinctively turn one of two places. We will either turn to the earth or the world. We will turn to ourselves and everything that is familiar to us in the world in which we live, or we will look outside ourselves as we look to God. And our first instinct is one or the other. What is it for you? You're having emotional difficulties, times of testing and trials. Are you having relational difficulties with a spouse or a child or a friend? What's your impulse? What is natural and normal for you to do? Now, I think all of us would love to say, well, my first impulse is to hit my knees and to look to God and to cry out to God and to fast before the Lord and to seek his presence and to rest in him. Here's the problem. It's twofold. One is that we are born in sin and we are sinners both by birth and by nature. And even when we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus and indwelt by the Spirit of God, that fleshly nature is still there. And it will be there until the day Jesus comes to get us or until the day we die. That's our first problem. That, that nature has to, be, has to be subdued. It has to be subjected to the Spirit of God as we come increasingly under the authority of the Word of God. Now, that very basic biblical fact creates a problem for us. Here's the problem. If you have been in public education or university education at the secular level, you've gone to high school here in Burke County or gone through the Burke County school system or you've gone through a private school system that does not operate out of a distinctive biblical worldview, And then you've gone from there to Statesboro or Athens or Atlanta or Swainsboro to East Georgia College or any system of public education from the 1960s, mid-1960s, 1964-65 until now with it getting increasingly more secular, what you would have been taught is that everything we need to fix whatever we face is found within ourselves or is found in the sciences, both physical sciences and social sciences that are operated in the lives of our friends around us. And we are children of what is known as the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment 
taught us that what matters most, most is reason and logic. We can fix anything by reason and logic. So look within, look around, go to the experts, physically, socially, psychologically, psychoanalytically, relationally. Go to the experts and you will find the help you need. Uh, do you see what happens? Who we are from birth by nature as sinners, when it gets joined with the system that has had profound influence on so many of us, then what it creates is a very natural instinct and impulse to go to the world for help. Now, if we're professing believers, we also want to pray and we want to ask people to pray for us. And we want uh, to hedge our bets. <laughs> uh, we would love God to be involved and to help where he can. But there's a big difference in that approach. And the approach that knows, I mean knows in all caps, that everything we need is in God. There's a big difference in thinking that every problem you face can be fixed and knowing that there are some problems you face that will never be fixed. But knowing that God is present is enough. Oh, brother, sister, friend, Where does your help come from? Uh, these pilgrims who were far removed from Jerusalem, many of them making their way back through the sandy, arid deserts, sun beaming down upon them during the day, no place for shade, very little water, Mountains rising up all around them, mountains that they had to make their way through, faced, filled with all kinds of dangers. And in those mountains were all kinds of shrines to the gods, and all kinds of gods. Just to Sacrifice here, just an offering here, just a bending of the knee in front of that pagan altar here. That's what's in the hills. Or beyond the hills. <laughs> the one who made the hills the one who is God over all. If I lift up my eyes to the hills, where does my help come from? Well, the psalmist answers, 
And he gives us in his answers five truths that as the people of God, you and I can take that second step now and we can stand here. Listen to what he says. I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. The Lord, uh, he doesn't use the exalted title God. He uses the personal name of God. The Lord, the one who made me, the one who knows me, the one who loves me, the one who cares for me, the one who comes to me. But this Lord is the one who made the heaven and the earth. Do you know that in the Bible, this has always been so fascinating to me. In the Bible, what is foundational for faith, or there is no faith, is that we stand upon the absolute truth that everything in the universe is made by God. In the beginning, God. Oh, I hear all the time. I've heard for years. In fact, there was a season in my life when I believe what I'm about to say. I hear this all the time. It doesn't matter what you believe about the creation. I know plenty of people who are evolutionists, Darwinian evolutionists, and they believe in God and they believe the gospel. Well, they have one... <laughs> One reality that stands against them and says, Ooh, stop. No. It's the whole Bible. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says that, that faith is at its very start believing that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. You either stand there or you stand believing that what you need can be found in the earth and from the world. So he stakes his claim right here. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And standing there, he knows these five truths. Number one, no matter what we face, God is our stability. He will not let your foot be moved. And that's an image that is very frequently used in the literature of that day. He, he, he will not let your foot be moved. He will make your steps steady. They didn't have roads to travel on. They had paths, and those paths were rocky. They were up and down. Your foot could slip, and your foot slipping on those paths could be death. You needed stable steps. God is our stability. Not only is God our stability, he is, he is our security. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel 
will neither slumber nor sleep. He doesn't take a nap, this God of ours. He is alert and awake. He is caring for and watching over and providing for and sustaining and strengthening his people. Do you believe that? You may never get fixed what you want fixed in your life, and you may never get resolved what you want resolved in your life, but you stand on solid ground, and you're secure. Thirdly, he is a God who brings safety. The Lord, verse 5, is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Now remember, these pilgrims are traveling across the vast expanses of the desert during the heat of the day and very little shade. And there were times when the heat beat down upon them and the water had run out and they were struggling But they knew that God was with them. And they knew that God was their shade. That God was their protector. Uh, you remember Jonah when Jonah had the mully grubs after the people of Nineveh repented at his preaching of the word of God and he complained to God and God, while he was complaining, put him to sleep and there was a tree that came up to give him shade, and when the tree was gone, he complained even more. Jonah had a hard time learning that the shade on his right hand, the safety that he really needs, is not in a broom tree. It is in God. God is the source of our safety he is our sufficiency. And verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. The Lord will keep your life. He's got you. He's got you in his hand. He's holding you securely. He is all you need. Because he is sovereign. And verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The psalmist uses a word here three times. Whenever you see repetition in the Bible like this of phrases or words, pay attention. The Lord is your keeper, verse 5. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep, three times, he will keep, he will keep. You know what the word means? It means three things. God will govern your life if you're his. He's sovereign over your life. He orders your steps every day. He governs. Number two, he guards you. And he protects you. And number three, he guides you. Every day. Where does your help come from? Are you like me? Many times I, I turn to the world and 
I'm very gifted people in the world that people say can help me. And then I pray, <laughs> ask God to kick in. I want my first impulse to be my help. My help comes from the Lord, who is the maker of the heavens and the earth. God, sometimes it takes a lifetime to learn your truth. And then we have all eternity to rejoice in it. Thank you, God, that for your children, there is one and only one who can give us everything we need and will never fail. Our help is in you. And even now we turn to you in Jesus' name. All right, I will see you next week as we ascend the stairs together. <laughs>